I always try and encourage artists, whether they're trying to connect with a music supervisor or anyone in the music industry, that they not try and I think that a lot of artists think that when they're meeting this person at the conference, they're never going to see them again. This is their only opportunity. And if they don't try and give them their music, then it's never going to happen. And and so they end up sort of trying to force it on the person. So I've, I've always tried to encourage people to just talk yeah. to people and just literally make a connection and get to know someone. Hopefully you're a likable person and, and they'll remember that. You're listening to Music Growth Talks, the podcast for musicpreneurs, with Andrew Apanov. Hello everyone, Andrew Apanov here with a new episode of Music Growth Talks. My guest today is Ned Jay, a Canadian singer-songwriter who we've been uh, fortunate enough to work with in the past six months or so. Not only she's a very talented uh, artist and musician, I encourage everyone to go to the show notes and uh, listen to her new album, The Flash of a Fight. It's a great record. Ned also knows quite a few things about sync licensing. She actually teaches other music professionals and artists about the world of sync licensing and uh, some other aspects of the music industry. So it's been really interesting to get her on the podcast and uh, she did share a lot of useful stuff for artists on different stages of their career. And even if you are not doing much uh, with sync, uh, you may want to reconsider and try to place your music or reach out to music supervisors to listen to it in full. If you have any feedback or questions, I encourage you to go to Ned's uh, Instagram profile. Let her know that you listen to the episode. As a reminder, this very podcast is brought to you by the Data Music Agency. If you want to see how we could help your music brand grow, reach out at agency.datamusic.com. Ned, welcome to Music Growth Talks. Um, I'm thrilled to have a chat with you within the context of the show and not just, uh, you know, on a regular day-to-day basis. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's nice to talk in a more formal way. (laughs) Yeah. So there is quite a few interesting things business-wise, which I wanted to to discuss with you, it may be easier to do it within the podcast. So right now you are actively promoting the most recent album. We just have to bring it up because it's very uh, fresh, even for this episode maybe out in a month or two from the time it's been recorded, but still uh, maybe yeah, a couple words on, on your latest creative work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just released just a few weeks ago my album, The Flash of a Fight. And it's a 10-song album of electro-pop, which is kind of a new thing for me because I've I've done more acoustic pop, sort of folk pop in the past. So I took a different approach this time and worked with a different producer. And we produced something a little more commercial, but still kind of maintained my like sort of thoughtful lyrics and topics that describe the events that have happened in my life over the last few years. And so far, so far it's going well. So far I've had great response from people, um, lots of people listening, lots of new fans um, and the old fans seem to be responding well to it as well. So yeah, I'm really happy with how it's going. 
Yeah, and it sounds great and we'll link to it in the show notes, of course, to anyone curious to take a listen, which I recommend. Since we are going to talk about the sync licensing stuff quite a bit today, what, what are your plans currently with placements and trying to, you know, pitch it? Mm-hmm. Well, I in the past, I've done all of my own, mostly done my own promotion for sync placements. But this time I felt like I wanted to kind of kick it up a notch and maybe not do everything myself. <laughs> so I had just signed earlier this year with a company in LA called Sync Stories. And they are a new company. They are a one-stop company, which maybe we'll talk some more about <laughs> later what a one-stop company is. And I'm a one-stop artist generally. So I thought we shared some of the same values. And they're right down in LA. So they've got lots of great connections with music supervisors down there. So we've just been working out some of the details of my contract with them. And then they're going to be going full throttle in the States. And they've also got sub-publishers around the world who will be working with the catalog as well. And then I will continue to pitch in Canada. Right. So um, do you have an exclusive? Or you don't have to go into many detail about the, the kind of contract you've got with them, but is it an exclusive on a specific territory like the United States? It is an exclusive contract for the world, excluding Canada. Right. Okay. Makes sense. So what what, what is a one-stop company in the context of licensing before we go to move on to other topics? Sure. Well, one-stop is a term that's used a lot in the sync world. And it's a, a term that just means that a music supervisor can clear all the rights that they need to clear to use a certain song in one place. So this has been the case for me um, a lot of the time because I own my own master and I own my own publishing. So they can just come to me and I can clear it all. If I have any co-writers, then I get them to sign a deal saying that I can sign off on their behalf so that I can be a one-stop shop for that song as well. Right. Um, so that's basically what it means. So, so it's. Uh, I think it's important because uh, there there may be opportunities where a song needs to be cleared very fast, right? So, in in this, or, or yes. that does it help if if the, anyone interested in uh, getting the song, getting uh, the rights to use a song in a TV show, for example, if they know that they can start using it very quickly and the process will be smooth. Yeah, exactly. And this is actually one of the things that indie artists have going for them over some of the big artists. Because like, if you've ever looked at like a Beyonce song, the credits on it are like, you know, there's like 15 different writers and, and each one of those writers has a publisher. And, you know, it's like a nightmare trying to go to each one of those people to clear the portion that they own. So this is one of the things that indie artists do have going for them. If they own their own master and they own their own publishing or they've at least control it between them and their co-writers, then they can sign off very quickly. And this is a very attractive quality for music supervisors. Right. And it's cheaper as well than Beyonce. It can be, yes. <laughs> well, yeah, no, not necessarily, but uh, I think this is also a, a very important point. And uh, we see how different TV networks, how Netflix uses uh so many independent musicians uh and uh, it's we, i i feel like we're in a good place where there is a lot of attention or a lot of possibilities for for indie artists at the same time of course a lot of competition and so on how do you feel about being in that space uh overall yourself and maybe comparing your initial first 
success with sync. And you can mention, by the way, uh, any specific examples if you want to. And how it looks like now, do you think that, do you feel that it's more crowded space or on the contrary? Yeah, I mean, I do think it's a bit more crowded when I, when I first, my, I got my first sync in 2008. And I, the following year, I also got off a bunch of sinks and I've actually had sinks every year since then, but it's definitely getting harder and I'm getting less and the budgets are lower. <laughs> so it can be, it, it can be more difficult for sure. And that's mainly because a lot of productions have lower budgets these days than they used to. Right. But there are lots of opportunities for indie artists to get placed these days. I feel like it's one of those places where an artist can really break out. And I think music supervisors are mainly just like big fans of music. And it's really a joy for them to break an artist through a show. And so I think that they really love discovering new artists and sort of bringing them to light to the public. So, well, yeah, it is, it is really difficult these days to sort of get access to a lot of the music supervisors, but it is possible. And if your music... Well, the thing is, like, there's room for all different kinds of music. So your music doesn't have to be one thing. It doesn't have to be, you know, like upbeat pop. There's room for all sorts of different kinds of music these days. And there's so many shows now with all these streaming platforms that are out there. There's so It's like the golden age of TV, they say. And, and so there are lots of opportunities out there. So I think, I think, it's, a, I think it's still a, it's different than it used to be, but, but it is still a positive, open sort of way for artists to to get recognized yeah and yeah i i do think it's uh it can be a really interesting space if you've got uh, a very specific niche genre win in in a particular language even maybe in a particular style of music and uh, there may very well be a need for that specific niche sounds in whatever show whoever is producing you mentioned supervisors a couple of times, and um, this may be kind of anecdotal if you uh, comment on that, because uh, obviously there are many different professionals and uh, they use different methods. But this is a question that I hear quite a bit, how to be in front of the supervisors and um, how to, to be noticed. What, have you seen any particular ways su- music supervisors discover new music so maybe you found that having your songs on a particular platform helps appearing on the radar of a, of a music supervisor any insights on that that you can mm-hmm. share yeah for sure first thing i should say that lots of times the question i get a lot is like most people don't actually know how music gets to productions and what a music supervisor is or does we, we can start there yeah yeah so <laughs> I'll just, yeah, I'll start with that. And so like for each production, whether it's a film or, or a TV show has a music supervisor that helps select, like source and select the music that goes into the production. So they're basically, they're not the only one that picks it though. They're kind of a go-between between the music industry and the production, between the artists and labels and publishers and the production. So if they have, say, like a given scene that they need a song for, they may select like a list of five possible songs that could go in there. Maybe they're given some direction, maybe they're not by the production. And then they'll take those, that list of songs to the production and the, together they'll pick the best one for the scene. And 
music supervisors also handle all the administration. So they, they clear all the rights and they get the, the artists of the label to, to sign the license. Um, and they make sure that the information gets to your performing rights organization and that the information gets to the production so that you can get paid. Um, so that's what they do. <laughs> but as far as approaching them, they're kind of a different, they're kind of a different being. <laughs> like a different species than most people in the music industry, I usually say. And not in a bad way or anything, just they're very different because they're the only people that work in the music industry that actually don't work in the music industry. <laughs> they work most of the time in the film and TV industry. So it's a little bit different than like a manager or an agent or something that's always working in the music industry. They're interacting with artists and labels and publishers on a daily basis, but they're mostly working in that film and TV industry. They've also sort of chosen this life of like sitting alone in a room listening to music. <laughs> so obviously this is generalization, but a lot of them aren't like the most social people. I, so, I, I keep painting an image of music supervisor in my mind as you. <laughs> Please keep going. <laughs> well, they're, they're most of the time, they're just big music fans that love listening to music. And they might have, you know, I don't know what their background is or where they've come from. They've come from a whole bunch of different things. Sometimes they come from the publishing world. Sometimes they've been managers in the music industry. Sometimes they're just sometimes radio. Sometimes they're just literally big fans of music and good at administration. But so I think when they, since they spend a lot of time sort of alone listening to music, they're not as used to like being out there talking to people and they're, they're not salespeople like a manager or something like that, who is used to going out there and selling their artist. They're used to people like wanting something from them. So I have found like the best way to connect with music supervisors is through going to events like conferences, seminars, that kind of thing. I know where I'm at, I am in Vancouver, they have, we have a local organization called Music BC and they put on like an educational series throughout the year. And sometimes they bring in music supervisors from around the world. The Vancouver International Film Festival does that as well. And a lot of times at those events, there's opportunities to socialize with the music supervisors or there may, may even be opportunities to do like a meet and greet kind of thing where you, or like a, you know, one of those speed dating type things where you like get five minutes with them and you get to sort of give them your music, that kind of thing. And a lot of conferences have that as well. So how, um, so, how approachable are these uh, beasts, uh, these supervisors? Well, it depends, but usually, usually that is where they are most approachable. They're there to meet new artists and to get new music. And that's, they know that. And so that's where they are approachable and they can answer questions. A lot of times they don't, they say that they don't take unsolicited material from artists. A lot of them prefer to work through a sync agent, mm -hmm. which is another way to get your music to music supervisors. So that's like a, which would be like someone like Sync Stories, who I'm signed with, who would like represent your catalog. And so they become like a trusted source. They build relationships with music supervisors and they become a trusted source for them. And they know that those sync agents know what to do administratively and will get back to them kind of thing. Yeah, that really uh, helps that you mentioned that uh, overall it is possible to connect with a music supervisor at, uh, at a conference. There, there is a bunch just focusing on sync. Uh, and uh, uh, it's, yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've heard this question and I, I 
have had this question myself even before I attended some of these conferences. Like, if I were a musician, how, like, would it really make sense to reach out to them and try to, well, not necessarily pitch music, but uh, try to just chat and, 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 and establish this connection? And would it help mm-hmm. eventually? It, would it give a chance to, uh, to, to, to get the music used by that particular supervisor i think it really is good that you mentioned that overall it is all right to connect with them and yeah if they attend the these type of conferences most probably they are totally cool with socializing and and chatting with artists so that's that's still good to know uh and uh yeah Yeah. any particular stories from from your experience on in in that regard well i mean i always say that like I always try and encourage artists, whether they're trying to connect with a music supervisor or anyone in the music industry, that they not try and... I think that a lot of artists think that when they're meeting this person at the conference, they're never going to see them again. This is their only opportunity. And if they don't try and give them their music, then it's never going to happen. And and so they end up sort of trying to force it on the person. It even happens to me. I meet people like hand me CDs and I'm like, well, first of all, like I have nowhere to play a CD anymore. And second of all, like I brought my small purse. So like, I don't even have anywhere to put it. So, and I think that, so I've, I've always tried to encourage people to just talk to people and just literally make a connection and get to know someone. I was like speaking in a class once at a recording school and they, there's this kid in the back who I said, like, don't hand them a CD. And he put up his hand and he was like, what about like a USB? And then I was like, no, like you don't get it. Like I'm telling you, you don't give them your music like because yeah. just try and like connect with him and he's like well yeah. but what about like if i give them like a flash card or something and then i was like no you're not getting it <laughs> just connect with them and like they are actually much more likely to open your email because they're going to remember the conversation that you had with them about like the fact that you both have like corgi dogs or something and like <laughs> you know and they're going to be like oh that's the the guy that i had a conversation with who has the same dog as me and like he also was the only artist that night that didn't try and push his music on me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so I think that that says a lot to just try and be like, they're just people, like they're just people at a conference um, with a job. And so like, I don't know, just get to know them and have them get to know you. And hopefully you're a likable person and, and they'll remember that. And then people like to help people that they like too. So I always joke that I have like a friend, like she's, she's a music supervisor that lives in, here in Vancouver. And we, we have like a running joke that anytime she has a restaurant scene, she'll just like throw in one of my tracks because she like wants to help me out and knows that I need the money. So <laughs> that's good. You, you definitely want yeah. more, more, com- more filming studios for shooting restaurant scenes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, obviously it's, she doesn't do that every time, but like, but you know, like she does like love the fact that she like we're friends and that she gets to like use like put my product in her in her production and and so she feels good about it. And obviously the product has to be good, but it's like it feels good all around because she gets to help out someone she knows and likes. And we've built that relationship over over years of just hanging out and getting to know each other. So So you initially yeah. made this connection as like professionally and not you didn't know her as a as a friend before so did did the uh, friendship yeah. kind of evolve from initially business connection yeah 
Interesting. Um, cool. it, yeah, it did. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I've never like, I mean, I wasn't, I mean, I only met her through the music industry. I'm trying to think of how I met her. I don't even remember how I met her, but. No, no, no. That's, um, that's, that's, that's good. That's, I think it's, it's still important that you, yeah, the, this is a great story because, uh, yeah, it's not like you have had uh, a music supervisor friend because it's a relative or <laughs> whatnot. So. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, I, yeah, I met her through the industry. I have another a good friend who is actually the one who connected me with Think Stories. And she's like the head of music creative at NBC in LA. Mm-hmm. And she's like a really lovely person. And we just, we, yeah, we, we were introduced by like, for professional reasons. And we sort of just became friends over the years. And, and it was great because I, when I had this album ready to go, I said, you know, I'm thinking of, getting some help on this and like, do you have any recommendations? And it was great because it was someone that she trusted and she knew and she liked and that helped me make that connection. So I think, you know, like there's more to it than just getting a placement. It's like, yeah, and maybe you'll get some career advice. Maybe you get some friendship. Maybe you get a, a guest room to sleep in when you're visiting or whatever it is. So yeah, and so you, when you look into it, like that music industry isn't even that big because everyone knows someone who may be of help. It's like some of the stuff that you talked about may uh, seem like networking one-on-one, but it's not to many musicians. They just don't get it. And uh, what you mentioned about uh, about the conferences, uh, yeah, I I've always recommend uh, focusing on a few deep connections, uh, new new connections that you may make there instead of trying to just cold approach and, and pitch a uh, hundred people without really connecting with them. So that was, I just want to return back to the idea that you don't even have to pitch your music right when you meet someone who might be able to help you just for the first time. So And, and it's, it's much easier these days to follow up with a Spotify, SoundCloud, private link or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so th- this is this is some great stuff. I think it's really uh, really important, and uh, how you got introduced to the agency is really important as well. I have a question, actually, a, bu- a couple questions that I see like all the time among artists who don't have much experience with sync licensing or this like publishing world overall. So I will just try to pack it together into one big question feel free to comment on it however you want so uh there is like the diy approach where you uh try to find uh, the music supervisors pitch to them directly or you know just do it yourself as much as possible through networking there are agencies and the question we see like we hear a lot is like do i try to approach an agency with just my catalog or do I need to show that my music has been placed? Like, if like, how do you start? And then there are websites where you can find different opportunities. Uh, like we interviewed for this podcast, Music Gateways on Trader. There is a bunch of other like we're not affiliated with anyone, but it's just the fact that there are platforms where you can find particular opportunities. Maybe you have experience with that. So DIY, uh, finding an agency, and there are many uh, details to that, of course, exclusive, non-exclusive, and so on, and using licensing uh, like websites with, with opportunities. How do you, uh, what would you recommend to someone just you know getting started with it all? 
Well, I would recommend the first two. First of all, for the DIY, I mean, this is something that I've been doing for years. If you're going to do it DIY, the only thing I would recommend, though, is that you really do your research ahead of time. Because one of the reasons that music supervisors prefer to go through sync, sync agents is because they know what they're doing and they understand all the terminology and, and the, the license itself, what the contract looks like, and, and they understand all those things. So, and this information is out there. So I think it's really important that artists, first of all, understand their rights, like understand what rights are involved, which is their publishing rights and the master rights. Um, so they need to understand about that. They need to make sure that they know who owns all of those rights and who has signing right on, on licenses. I usually say if, you know, if it's in a band, like pick the most organized guy and put him in charge and make sure that you have a written agreement between all the band members saying that this person has the right to sign off on things. And if you are going to reach out to someone and have them, if a music supervisor is going to contact you and say, I want to use your song, make sure that you get back to them right away. And these are all characteristics of, of what a good sync agent would be. So if you're going to do that for yourself, then you really have to make sure that you're knowledgeable and on top of things administratively. Yeah. If you are going to look for a sync agent, which would maybe be the next step, though there aren't, well, you know what? There's tons of them out there, but there's not tons of good ones. So you have to do a little bit of research on what, you know, on the reputation of this company. Maybe ask some of the other artists that are on their roster and see what their experience has been. But there's also certain characteristics of a good sync agent, like a legitimate one that like some sort of red flags that that you can look out for, whether they're, you know, like taking any of the any of the back end, like any of the royalties. And they would be doing this by asking you to retitle your song, which is a really sneaky practice and take some of your publishing, which no one should do. They're also um, asking for too much up front or they're asking you to pay them to pitch something. So you should never be paying someone to pitch for you. Right. So, but a good sync agent will ask for a reasonable percentage up front and then, and won't take anything from the back end royalties. But I mean, yeah, anyone can approach a sync agent. You don't have to like have had your stuff licensed before to, to approach them for sure. They are just trying to build their catalog with stuff they think could be good for licensing. So if you have a new album and you're a new artist and you've never been licensed before and you send it to them and they like it, then they think it has potential, then they'd probably be interested in signing you. And it certainly doesn't matter whether you've had placements before. Right, right. Uh, yeah, so that would be for for anyone. But this would also be like a good thing for a, a sort of next level artist, like for myself. I really wanted to work with someone who could sort of take what I was already doing for myself to the next level certain agencies like this sync stories is a little bit more a little bit more of like a publisher base like it's more of a like a sync focused publishing kind of company mm -hmm. because they've got like 31 sub publishers worldwide so they're a little bit different than your average sync agent and they also get access to some certain like bespoke opportunities where productions contact them and say we need something like this and the, they have artists write something specifically for it so they have those kinds of opportunities as well. So yeah, there's all different sort of levels 
of St. Cajuns. As far as websites and stuff, like services, I personally haven't found any that the main problem with them is that they're usually asking to take too much from the artist. Like usually it's like a 50-50 split of the fee and that's usually too much. Like a good sync agent would never take that much from an artist. So I can't like think of some of these sites that I've seen that do that or there'll be like a catalog or something online that will say like, oh, we have music supervisors coming through our catalog daily. It's a lie (laughs) because music supervisors have so much music sent to them and they source so much music out themselves with labels and publishers and and indie artists. And they have their own libraries. They have their own catalog. Yeah. And so, and they also have like certain trusted catalogs or libraries of music, like, like Sync Stories has a few libraries that they definitely don't sort of comb around online looking for looking through libraries like that. Sometimes they need something very specific, like an Irish jig or something. And then they may, maybe they're going to go into one of the sites and look for that very specific world music or something. But most of the time they're going from their own, their own catalog and their own research. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say like a lot of time, like it's a very low probability of getting a placement through that. Not saying it's not going to happen, but, but yeah, it's a low probability. And then there's services like kind of like taxi or something like that, who, charge you for to submit and i have heard music supervisors say on numerous occasions that they like they've said i don't know who they're sending those submissions to because we've never seen anything from taxi yeah i'm really not a fan of that model at all like and (laughs) yeah uh, yeah, that there is uh, quite a few and some of them have been on the market for a long time and it's it's not surprising because musicians want that someone listening to us will hopefully make uh, uh, the right decision how to approach that but when you you want your music to be used uh, in a movie and you you just do a bit of research if you find these websites it seems straightforward you don't need the connections in the industry you just submit your music and um, Mm -hmm. and usually nothing happens but uh, it's because it's it's so attractive to independent artists I, i also think that some of these platforms may be overcrowded with the amount of of just uh, music being there even for yeah we we're not going to uh generalize way too much because there are you know different platforms different different approaches uh, i really like that you mm-hmm. shared your experience and, and what you've heard uh the music supervisors saying this is gold so really mm-hmm. really cool insights we may be wrapping it up if you have any additional tips advice to musicians listening to us and i know that you could talk on many other topics from just you know uh, self-release versus you know going with label management companies or getting grants uh, from a government uh, or and we definitely need to to have another conversation with you on, on this uh, podcast in the future but in the context of uh, sync licensing and publishing do you have uh, an advice that you think may help our listeners? I think most artists just don't know where to start with sync. And I always encourage artists to take an interest in the business side of their career and not expect, you know, someone else to do it because these days it's a DIY world. And the more knowledge that you have, the more power you have. And even if you do eventually 
have someone to help you, you're going to work much more effectively with them if you understand what their job is and what they need from you and whether they're doing a good job as well. So I would just, I just think with sync, just start with some of the basics of understanding your copyrights and also watch TV. (laughs) That's your homework is watch TV, watch movies and look at the credits because you'll start to recognize some of the, uh, the music supervisors on the bigger productions, on the smaller local productions as well. Don't discount some of the ones if you're in a smaller country like Canada. I mean, it's a big country, but it's a small market. Don't discount those smaller shows that that are in your country um, that could maybe get syndicated. I know there's a lot of Canadian shows. I've had some smaller Canadian placements that didn't pay that much, but that got syndicated to you know 30 countries worldwide. And then I'm still getting royalties 10 years later. So, so just start to, to look at, at who the music supervisor is. It's usually in the opening credits of things in movies. And then in TV shows, it's always in the closing credits. And you'll start to recognize those names. And then get out there and start meeting them at conferences and seminars and talk to them. And yeah, don't be intimidated. Just do, do as much reading as you can about the rights and and all the administration side of it so that you can feel confident when you go to those conferences and talk to the music supervisors and yeah and if you've got a good product then anyone can be successful awesome this is so helpful and i really like the 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 recommendation of checking out the 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 credits and actually looking for the people behind uh behind the production those who pick the music for uh the tv shows you might already be watching so Amazing stuff. Lots of uh, cool insights here. I'm linking to uh, all your social media profiles and the websites in the show notes, uh, of course. So anyone uh, listening to us, I highly recommend uh, uh, checking out the latest album. It's uh, really just a great uh, piece of art. So worth listening to even if uh, it may not be necessarily your genre in the first place. So and uh, I will link to some of your blog posts about uh, sync as well. And yeah, once again, really appreciate everything you've shared with us today. And so thanks a lot for coming to the show. Yeah, no worries. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks all of you for listening. Thanks to Ned once again, datamusic.com. This is where you'll find the show notes. Musicgrowthtalks.com is where you will subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done that yet. Uh, Thank you all for listening and see you next week. You've been listening to Music Growth Talks with Andrew Apanov. Find more episodes and subscribe at musicgrowthtalks.com.